breast cancer and was treated and came through that. And that was a challenging time. Pam was outstanding in her faith and belief, and so were the medics and others. And uh, then just before Christmas, uh, she wasn't too well, hasn't been well for a while. And it was my opportunity to nag her. Uh, so I nagged her, said, listen, you must go and see the doctor. She went to the doctor, had a blood test on a Tuesday morning. Wednesday, two o'clock in the morning, we had a phone call. Two o'clock in the morning, it was the out-of-hours duty doctor saying, the blood test has come in, you should take your wife straight away to St. Peter's accident and emergency because she's in suspected renal failure. So her kidneys weren't working. So uh, I took uh, Pam off and she was admitted and they gave her fluids and she improved uh, but didn't improve fully. So there were other tests that came, and uh, she was in for almost three weeks. She came out last Monday, and during that time, they diagnosed myeloma, which is a cancer which can be treated, so it's going to be battered into remission uh, by chemo treatment, which will happen. She'll have a jab every week, well, four weeks, and then a week's break, and then another four weeks, all together for about 30 weeks. And uh, in some ways, right the way through this, you're kind of in the middle of the storm because people around you are very sympathetic. It's brilliant. And, uh, you know, the church and family have been fantastic in praying, offering support. Uh, In the middle of it all, I've become more familiar with the microwave. I've become more familiar with the oven. And and I've had my own little regime within our our, um, kitchen. And then Pam's come out of hospital and started to challenge that regime. It's really kind of difficult. There's been a few words spoken in the kitchen just recently where normally that was her domain and let her get on with it. But in the middle of it, you kind of trust God. We've had some tears, but we trust God. And also, in the middle of it, you realize that God is faithful and God is good. You must see the bigger picture in everything. And what I preach, I must practice. And and I do try and practice, and I don't have any anxiety about it. I refuse to have anxiety because that doesn't help. I'm not being grand or super spiritual. I'm just refusing anxiety about it. And we're going to press on and trust uh, God and thank God for the medics and believe in His touch as well. And I'm just letting you know that it's not for sympathy. I'm not very good at receiving sympathy. If you're sympathetic towards me, I'll cry. Uh, I don't mind being the center of attention when I choose uh, to do it, but I don't like other people kind of coming first. I know there'll be kind words. I appreciate that. So don't hold back from that. But most of all, continue to pray. I want to preach this morning about the example of Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, when you pray, pray this way. He doesn't say to them, if you pray. He says, when you pray. There's a really healthy expectation from Jesus that those who follow him will be those who pray. And Jesus practiced what he preached. Because in Luke's gospel, we read a lot about the prayer life of Jesus. And it says in Luke 5, Jesus often withdrew and prayed. And we'll read from Luke 5 a little bit later. See, my premise this morning is success in life is not automatically gained through your or my feverish activity. Success in life is not automatically gained through yours or mine feverish, feverish activity. It's not gained through human effort. 
It's not even gained through your talented effort. But the real success that matters in life can be gained through being with God and by listening to Him. We have a perfect example. If you've got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. The first 11 verses have the example there of Jesus going to the lake and getting on a boat and teaching. And then at the end of his teaching, he says to the fishermen, listen, just push your boat out and let's get some fish. And Simon says to him in verse 5 of chapter 5 of Luke's gospel, it says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the net. Simon and his friends, they were professional fishermen. Jesus was a carpenter. What did he know about fishing? They were the experts. They knew where the fish were. They were going to catch them. They made a living by it. And they'd had a tough night and they'd caught nothing. And there you have this carpenter telling them what to do. And he tells them. And he says, listen, he gives direction. And Simon, something rises within Simon. And he kind of says, listen, Lord, we're the experts. We've been doing the work. We know where to fish. We're nevertheless, okay, because you say so, we will do it. There's a reluctance. There's like an objection within us to receive direction. And they go and they catch fish. They catch so many fish, the boats are sinking. Listening to one word of advice from Jesus was more productive than all their experience and all their effort. Do you agree? That's the premise of what I'm going to say to you this morning. Jesus himself withdrew because he needed to hear as well. And we ourselves need to withdraw to hear. Real power and effectiveness is found in taking time to hear from God. And in his days on earth, Jesus found and made time to do the same. Luke chapter 5, verse 12 to 16. I'm going to read this uh, to you. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about Jesus spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. First of all, in this passage, I see something of the willingness of Jesus. A man who is covered with leprosy. It was an obvious problem. You and I have problems. Sometimes we're good at hiding them. Sometimes we make every effort to hide them because we're embarrassed or we're ashamed or it's not something we want to talk about. There is a kind of a generational thing, I think. I'm probably just about in that generation, or it might just happen when you get older, that you tend to keep things to yourself. You don't share. So for me, 
just sharing about Pam's situation. If Pam knows about that, she'd be horrified. Please don't tell her. Please don't tell her. Why? Because she doesn't think everyone needs to know. Do you understand? There's something about she doesn't need the attention or she doesn't need everyone to know. And sometimes the older generation, you get older, you might be a little bit more like that. I mean, children, they can't hide what their problems are. They'll just scream and shout and, and cry. They'll tell you. And that's quite healthy. But it's unhealthy sometimes to have obvious problems that we know about that we keep to ourselves. And we kind of say in some way, well, God knows. Yes, he, he does know. But he wants you to confess. He wants you just to be open about them. This guy has an obvious problem. Leprosy. It affects the system where your nerves don't really work and you can burn yourself and get infection. You can lose your digits from your finger or your feet. There can be all sorts of things. You can get sores and it's fairly obvious. This man is covered with leprosy. It's obvious he's got a problem. And everybody knows he's got a problem. And everybody keeps away from him because he's unclean. That's why Jesus says to him later on, listen, now you're clean, you better go to the priest and just let him know that you've got a clean bill of health so he can say it's okay. And he will vouch for you with others that you're no longer a leper. But up to that time, no one would touch them. They would be viewed as unclean and they were kept apart from other people. This man had a need and he was open about it because he couldn't hide it. Our problem is we think we can hide it. And we think by hiding our problems, they go away. They don't. You see, sometimes we have a church culture that isn't a kingdom culture. And the church culture can be that we present ourselves as okay, when actually there are things that need to be dealt with in our lives. And that can sometimes happen. And we can sometimes, as good old evangelicals, be too quick to criticize others who are more nominal Christians. Well, they go to church, but they don't believe. They just go to church. It's too easy to jump to that vantage position. But even in our evangelical so-called charismatic churches, we have people who are full of needs and yet keep it to themselves. And Jesus receives this guy. He comes up to Jesus he sought help from the one who could heal him. And he says these amazing words, Are you willing to heal me, Lord? And Jesus says the more amazing words, I am willing. Hallelujah. What a Savior we have. Now, I'm preaching this to you when I've prayed that my wife would be healed. And she hasn't been healed. But I'm going to keep on asking. You see, God, even though He can heal us, is not a slot machine that works to us putting the prayer in and getting the answer out that we want straight away. God is sovereign. I'm not hiding behind that. I, I certainly believe He can heal. I certainly believe He can change lives in a moment. Hallelujah. And I've seen it happen. But I know with others it can be a process. I know with other times you need to ask again. And you need to keep on asking. That's what Jesus said. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And I also know that in God's sovereignty, right, sometimes there's no healing. There's no healing. There's no respite. And God teaches you something through that time as well, to hold on to Him and to believe in Him. 
But here, this man comes to Jesus, covered with leprosy. And Jesus says, I'm willing to heal you. What a great Savior we have. This morning, Jesus is willing. He is willing. Do we know His timing? We don't know His timing. Do we know what He's working out in your life? We don't know what He's working out in your life. I don't know what He's working out in my life at the moment, but I know this. Jesus is a heart to heal people. And I'm going to keep asking. And I'm going to keep seeking for His touch upon my life. I'm not going to hide with my pretense. I'm not going to hide with my issues. I'm going to be open and say, Lord, this is what it is. We sang a great hymn, Oh, Love That Will Not Let Me Go. Quite emotional for me because I remember singing that many, many years ago. And when I think of my history, I get a bit emotional about things that I've enjoyed in the past. Singing this song, Lord, I give you back the life I owe. It's the Lord's life. Be honest with Him about the issues in your life. Because He might bring you to a point of, of going through a difficult time and you grow in faith, or He might bring you to a point where He heals you and restores you. Jesus was willing. What a good heart. What power, what authority. And immediately, the leprosy left Him. See, Jesus is not just able to heal. He's willing to heal. And he's willing to touch the untouchable the embarrassed, the ashamed. He's willing to do that even here today. And at the end of the meeting, I'm going to give an opportunity for people just to come forward who just need a touch from the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, are you willing to heal me? Are you willing to help me in my situation? Surely we need to be those. And it's not all about coming to the front, but it is. We need a culture in our churches where we're just a bit more honest and open but our needs. It's not portraying our needs and our charismatic ministry. It's not a show. It's just a demonstration of our honesty, our openness. I need God's touch in my life. And I know for some of you will have asked time and time and time again, and you haven't had the answer. Keep on asking, Jesus said. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. That's what Jesus said. This will happen for this man. We see the willingness of Jesus. Next, we see the work of Jesus. The news spread about Jesus, and crowds came to be taught and to be healed by Jesus. This was a key part of Christ's ministry. We've already heard from Olaf, and I'll repeat it here. What Jesus had just read in the synagogue in Nazareth, he'd read from Isaiah 61. You can read it in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus did these things. When he read this out in the synagogue, everyone's eye was fastened on Jesus. And he says, these things will be fulfilled in and through me. That's what he said. And now he's doing it. People are getting their sight back. The oppressed are being released. Prisoners are being set free from the prisons within their own minds and heart. Jesus did these things. People were changed. They were renewed. Hope was restored. The sick were healed. Jesus worked hard. And wherever he went, he seemed to be interrupted by people who had needs. 
people interrupting him, saying, listen, this is my need. This is my need. They came to Jesus with their needs because he was meeting their needs with his power. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's give an opportunity to see the kingdom of God come into our lives. People ran towards Jesus. They pushed. There was the woman who was in the crowd and just touched him. And Jesus knew that power had gone out of him. Someone had touched him in faith. He was surrounded by the crowd. Other people interrupted him as he was ministering to one. Somebody came, please come and see my daughter. She's ill. He was pestered. He was intercepted. He was interrupted. He was so busy. He worked hard and he was willing to work hard. He said this to his disciples, night comes when no one can work. I must do the work to the one who sent me. There was an urgency about Jesus. He didn't have long. He knew he had to serve. There wasn't an anxiety about him in that, but he knew there was a work to do to demonstrate that he was the Son of God and to bring the love of the Father to those who were seeking the love and touch of the Father. He was often surrounded by crowds and needs. He carried great responsibility, more responsibility than anyone else who has ever walked on this planet. He carried responsibility. He had a heart for the needy. He had good news to teach. But he was not totally shaped by those needs and those demands. Jesus worked hard. He was willing. He worked hard. But he also often sought lonely places to pray. It says that in verse 16. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Do you know, at this time, right the way through his ministry, but we know especially because it's just been mentioned in chapter 4, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was moving around in the power of the Holy Spirit. Says earlier on, he was full of wisdom and the grace of God was on him. He had all that you and I could ever enjoy. He was enjoying it in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, fullness of wisdom, the grace of God on him. Here the power of God was on him. And yet he still withdrew to pray. What a challenge that is. You see, if you and I were so full, we'd think, well, we don't need prayer. We don't need to withdraw. Look what God's doing through me. The people are being healed. Lives are being changed. Look at the needs. But our danger is we live driven and sucked into other activities by the needs of life, by the responsibilities that we have or other people call upon us. Jesus had all of those challenges, and yet he withdrew and found a lonely place to pray. And that was regularly he did that. Praying to his Father, says in Hebrews 5, 7, In his days on earth, Jesus prayed with loud cries and tears. He's passionate as well. Isn't that amazing? The passion of Jesus. Here he is. He's full of the Spirit. He's full of wisdom. He's full of the power of God. Hallelujah. But he's still passionate for more. He's praying with loud cries and tears. And he was heard because of his godly submission. That's what it says in Hebrews 5, 7. 
He was submitting to his heavenly Father. What an example Jesus is. You see, I know that you are a willing people. I know you've got a willing heart. You want to see the purpose of God advanced. You want to see people healed. You want to see people changed by the power and the truth of the gospel. Our problem is not our willing heart. And then I know that you work hard. Most of you will work hard. I don't know anyone that doesn't work hard. You ask the people who are retired. Even they work hard. You talk to someone retired, uh, what's it like being retired? Oh, I never knew it would be so busy. Right? It's busier than ever. I'm going to avoid retirement. My jobs are, do- are jolly compared with retirement, I think. Right? It's so demanding. We just do all that comes our way. Jesus here regularly finds time to pray. I heard this week that an old pastor of mine passed away. And uh, I remember a distinct conversation I had with him. I had many conversations with him. His name was Neville Atkinson. And he was pastor of the Stockton Baptist Tabernacle up in the northeast of England. And he was there for about 20 odd years. I, I wasn't there all the time that he was the pastor. But I remember meeting him in the high street in Stockton on Tees. And he was walking along with some library books in his hand. And I was walking the other way. I said, hi, hi, Neville. How are you doing? He said, fine. I said, what have your books have you got? He said, oh, he said, I've got some books. I just go to the library quite regularly. He said, you know, he said, if you're going to be in ministry, you need a deep well to draw from. And I, that word really stuck with me. And still, I remember it now. If you're going to be in ministry, you need a deep well to draw from. So I said, well, what does that mean for you? And he said, well, I read. He said, obviously, I read the Bible. And then he got this book out. There was a biography of George Best, who was a great footballer. I'm thinking, is that a deep well? He says, no. He says, it's just good to know what happens, you know, in people's lives. What happens? It can sometimes bring an illustration as you preach. And he had another couple of books, a little more spiritual than that. I remembered the non-spiritual book. I can't remember the spiritual books that he had. But I remember, but this word he said to me, if you're going to minister to others, you need to draw from a deep well. He was at a church 20 odd years. He needed a deep well. He couldn't just do it for five years and then go somewhere else and repeat his sermons. He had a deep well. He needed to do that. Prayer helped Jesus. There was a depth to the life of Jesus that was dug out in those solitary times. Those times of prayer, of submission, of meditation, of listening. See, if you've got a willing heart, prayer enables your willing heart to greater willingness. If you are working hard, prayer empowers you in a busy, hard-working life and ministry. See, when you talk about prayer, None of us feel fully qualified. Isn't that true? See, I, I don't in any way want to beat people over the head about praying because I could say to you two things this morning that are true but don't help you. Number one is you don't love God enough. It's true, but it doesn't help you, does it? It just really condemns you. And I could say the second thing is this, you don't pray enough. 
But what is loving God enough? Do you understand? What is praying enough? What is it? And we're not under condemnation. We're under God's grace. And some of us don't like to be challenged about some of these things. And sometimes we don't even challenge each other in a good way. The challenges here is explicit in Scripture. Jesus often withdrew to a solitary place and prayed. And if it's good enough for him, full of the Spirit, it's good enough for you and me. If it's good enough for him, full of wisdom, it's good enough for you and me. If it's good enough for him, in his amazing busyness, it's good enough for you and me. You can put the next one on with the three points on. Please, thank you very much. So there's the points. The willingness of Jesus, the work of Jesus, and the withdrawal of Jesus. He came to do the will of the Father. This was a priority relationship. Satan had already tried to break it in the temptation in the wilderness. Jesus had already been under attack to kind of separate from God and to, to bow down and worship Satan. This priority relationship had already been under attack, but he persevered. Jesus, what a great teacher. What a great healer. But also, what a great prayer. He's our example. See, God has a specific and a peculiar call upon your life. Romans 12, 2 say, His will is good, and it's perfect, and it fits you. That's what it says. God's will is good, it's perfect, and it fits you. And when we pray, we're not just taking hold of God, but God can take hold of us. He can get hold of us. See, I find more exposure to God helps me to be more aware of myself. Not in a proud way, not an arrogant way, but greater God awareness helps my self-awareness. Why? Because God often speaks to me. I've been praying when Pam was in hospital, when she was diagnosed, or we knew she had to go for a bone marrow biopsy, which we knew was fairly serious. I mean, she was upset. I was upset. I went home and I prayed. I threw myself at the end of the bed and I cried out to God. And I was praying to God. I was saying, God, would you please heal her? And you know, God, not in that nasty way, was just kind of filtering me and my motives. You know, do you want this, Malcolm, because it's an easier life for you if she's at home with you? Do you want this just, you know, for, for your glory or for my glory, for your convenience? Now, I don't think God was being nasty with me. It's just when you get before God and you spend time before Him, He will filter your heart. He will find your heart. And He will heal your heart as well. Hallelujah. See, many of us only go to God with the emergency prayers. Nehemiah, he'd heard that the city walls of Jerusalem were broken down. And he gets before God, right at the beginning, chapter 1, Nehemiah. He goes before God for days, and he prays, and he weeps, and he fasts. He spends time before God. And then he's in front of Artaxerxes, the greatest king. And he's saying, to, he's sad. And Artaxerxes, why are you looking sad? He says, how can I be happy when my city lies in ruins? And the king says, and what do you want? And it says this, and I prayed to God, and I answered the king. That's an emergency prayer. I understand that. And you know, God helps us in emergency prayers. Isn't He gracious? But how often do we spend time before God? 
How often do we just spend a bit long and say, Lord, I just want to talk out my life with you. What's going on? And I want you just to encourage me, to help me. Give me a word of direction. Like you did to Simon and the fishermen. Should I go out fishing again? What should I do? Filter my heart. Search my heart, Lord. This is what happens. When we take hold of God, God takes hold of us. Jesus also grew tired, but he needed to be renewed in withdrawing to pray. There's no way that you can fulfill God's will without being plugged in to God's power. And he gives power to those who ask and those who seek, those who are tired and worn out, those that come. He says, come, all you are weary, come. He doesn't say stay there and think about it. He says, come, come, and I will give you rest. And Jesus here is displaying that. He's the one who is coming to the Father. He's coming to the Father for renewal, for strength, for direction, for fellowship, to worship the Father, to enjoy. You and I need God's power in more ways than we realized. This is not just a positive mental attitude. This is not self-help. You and I need supernatural power. And it's available. Hallelujah. Are you full of wisdom? I guess not many of us would claim that, would we? Full of wisdom? Even if you are, you still need to pray. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Even if you are, you still need to pray. You're full of the power of God? Wonderful. Even if you are, still need to withdraw. Life is so busy. There's so many other important tasks. They fill our time. And do you know what we do? We still trust our frantic efforts more than our Father's energy and direction. We think that working harder or just going at the pace that we are going will be the answer. It may well be that spending a bit more time with God is the answer. Susanna Wesley, she was the 25th of 25 children. Those were the days, eh? She and her husband Samuel had 19 children. Nine of Susanna's children died as infants. But two of her sons, John and Charles Wesley, went on to become great evangelists, started the Methodist movement. She once wrote in a letter, I look upon every soul under my charge, she had ten children, as a talent committed to me under a trust. I am not a man or a minister, but I spare every night to discourse with each child apart, strengthening their tiny faith in God, our Savior. Here's a woman she probably lived in a small room. The children were around, 10 of them, all sorts of demands. Then her husband, and then the difficulties of raising 10 children. And what she's doing, said, I try every night to talk to each child separately to encourage them in their faith in God. What a commitment to do that. Amazing commitment. She was busy. However, her children knew to be quiet whenever they saw their mother throw her apron over her head. In the middle of this noise, 
she would throw an apron over her head and the children knew that was their mom withdrawing to pray. And somehow she got on with it and she was able to pray. They understood this was Susanna's private time of prayer with the Lord. God certainly blessed this amazing mother. What an example she's become, not just in maternal duties, but spiritual duties as well. I will say this, I doubt that you or I are busier than Susanna Wesley. She withdrew and prayed. I doubt that you and I carry more urgent responsibility than Jesus Christ. And he withdrew and prayed. There's a guy called Peter Kreeft says this, listen, we have time and prayer backwards. We think time determines prayer, but prayer determines time. We think our lack of time is the cause of our lack of prayer, but our lack of prayer is the cause of our lack of time. When a little boy offered Christ five loaves and two fishes, he multiplied them miraculously. He does the same with our time, but only if we offer it to him in prayer. This is miraculous, yet I know it happens from repeated experience. Every day that I say I'm too busy not to pray, every time I offer some time loaves and life fishes to Christ, he miraculously multiplies them and I share his conquest of time. I have no idea how he does it. I know that he does it time after time, and yet I resist sacrificing my loaves and fishes to him. What an idiot. That's what he says about himself. Isn't it true? We don't have time to pray. So we think we can't pray because of time pressure. No, this guy's saying, listen, pray and God will deem with the time. That's so important for us. We're so busy and frenetic these days. We, we boast of our busyness. <laughs> Nobody has an easy life. We're, we're too easily boast of our busyness. It seems to be like a badge that we were. Oh, how busy we are. Uh, and it seems as if then we boast of our busyness, justifies our life, and in some ways even justifies our non-time with the Lord. Susanna's son, John Wesley, said this, I have so much to do that I must spend several hours in prayer before I'm able to do it. He's learned something from his mother. R.A. Torrey, a great evangelist, said, How little time the average Christian spends in prayer. We're too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little. We have not because we ask not. Samuel Chadwick, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Jesus withdrew and spent time in I'm not a legalist about this. I live in grit and grace. That means I'm gritty with my own prayer times. 
I try and get some time. I've just started, I mean, my plans, I bought a book for Pam and I to read and pray through this year, and she wasn't with me for the first two and a half weeks. I was really knocked with God, because I'd done this really super spiritual thing. I brought a book for us to pray and read through together, and I thought I was really wonderful in doing that, and the Lord just moved Pam out of the way. So I'm making a catch-up at the moment. Just spend some time. You see, sometimes we can forget. Sometimes we're busy. But I, so I live in grit. I, if, I, if I miss out, I kind of think, no, I'm going to go back to it. Do you understand? There's some sort of deterrence. Not under law. Not at all. Not under law. This is not about doing. This is about being a child before my heavenly Father. Which son of a millionaire who has a genuine need would you applaud because he never goes to his father and asks for help? You'd say, idiot, you've got a genuine need, your father has all these resources, go and ask. Which child would you applaud who says, I really love my dad, but doesn't want to spend any time with them? There's something about us, and we're not careful, it just becomes something, and I say this in grace, a public thing on a Sunday, rather than a daily thing with the Lord. And I'm not saying day by day. I'm not giving you hours. It doesn't say how many hours. I'm not saying well, how many days a week you do it. I'm just saying we need to move forward in this. Because my experience is prayer is one of the weakest parts of our discipleship. And I'm not saying you have to pray for hours or do this or do that. But Jesus did it. He often withdrew and prayed. It's good for us to do it. In the 1930s and 40s, a little book was produced by InterVarsity Publishing. It was called The Quiet Time. And they tried to help evangelicals move to a regular time with the Lord. And it sold millions of copies. And it was really helpful. But some people got hold of it and made it like the rule for Christianity. You know, you must have a quiet time every day. If you had your quiet time, if you haven't, God doesn't love you or you're not doing well. That's not my spirit at all. But what a fool you would be if you ignored the example of Jesus and the call to come and spend some time with the Father. Our danger is we can sometimes just be overt. Jesus saw a Pharisee and he was praying his prayer. And he said this to his disciples, beware of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. They are doing it for show. When you pray, Go to your own private room and pray in private. And the God who sees privately will reward you. Now, Jesus is not saying we don't pray corporately. He's not saying we don't pray out here. But he's saying this, it's too easy sometimes for us to parade our spirituality publicly and not have it as substance privately. It's too easy. You can prophesy. You can pray publicly. It's wonderful to do, do those things. But Jesus, who could do these things, also withdrew to spend time to pray. The step forward, I think many of us can take. Spend time in intimacy and intercession with the Lord. 
Enjoy communion and fellowship with him. Enjoy his kingdom. Let your kingdom come. Enjoy both conversation and encounter. There's a need to withdraw from our hectic, indulgent busyness. It's not really all about our public show. Jesus says there is a private integrity to spirituality. There is a private integrity to spirituality that is shown when you take time to pray to the Lord. I want to say that again with a nice smile on my face because I'm not bringing any condemnation, honestly. You know, which one of us can say we pray enough and we do enough? But I know that sometimes we just need to take a step forward. Say, Lord, let me learn that lesson that actually I'm not too busy to pray. It's because I don't pray that I'm too busy. I'm not seeking your kingdom first and enjoying your promise that if we seek your kingdom first, all these other things will be sorted out and put in the right place. It's not about doing, it's about being. It's about being a follower of Jesus, following His example. It's about bringing some shape and discipline to our lives that doesn't beat us over the head if we miss praying or whatever. We're still loved by God. We're still accepted. Hallelujah. But it doesn't abuse the grace of God by ignoring the opportunity for fellowship and prayer and seeking God's touch and letting Him filter our hearts. Not just the emergency prayer, but the time when we spend before God. And He filters us and loves us and changes us and directs us as well. To all believers here this morning, Jesus left us an example. You need God's fellowship. Prayer is that relationship with God where we trust in Him, we ask Him. Prayer is evidence of an active trust. Prayer is faith expressed. Tim Keller says, prayer makes it safe for God to give us most of the things we desire. Because we're willing to seek Him for it and trust Him and look to Him. We've put Him in the right place. Our frantic activity will produce much less than our guided activity as we spend time with the Lord. Take time out to ask. Listen, don't put yourself under pressure. Don't make any vows. I'm going to do it an hour a day. Just spend a few minutes. Just say, Lord, I just want to carve out some time. Get the apron over the head. Whatever that means for you. Find some time. Say, Lord, I just want to enjoy you, talk to you, thank you for the day, tell you my issues, be fellowshipping with you. Are you on speaking terms with God? We're on singing terms. Are we on speaking terms with God? He loves that. He loves us just to come and talk to Him so He can bless us and encourage us. Or maybe you're here this morning, you're needy and you're weary. Your issue might not be obvious like the leper, but you have a need. And we need to be those who are willing just to humble ourselves. This leper couldn't do anything else. Everyone knew his problem. We sometimes think, well, I won't expose myself to ask for prayer just in case People think there's something wrong with me. Well, the truth is, there is something wrong with you. 
And you need the touch from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's willing to touch you. And the supernatural could well happen as you come and reach out to him. Let's stand.